Well, it's great to be with you. I think my mic is on. For those of you who know me, I don't really need a mic, but we do one just for show and tell, I guess. So, <laughs> It is great to be back here again. This is actually the third time you've been stuck with me. So um, some of you, that's your first time, so hang on. The storm's coming, <laughs> so watch out. Uh, it is good to be with you. Um, what I've learned about Mountain Home is that this is a community of transition. Um, you are... Um, would say good at that, but you'd have them a lot. Of course, the Air Force Base uh, makes that happen. And, and I would say one of the gifts you provide is you are a place, um, some of you are lifers, um, but you are a place for folks who come in for a season, you love them well, um, even knowing that sometimes you know those aren't going to stay forever, but you love generously. In some places, that might leave folks jaded, right? Like I'm not going to, but what I've seen about your, um, the passion of Mountain Home people is to love those folks well. Um, even knowing um, that they might be here for a season of two years or 20 or we, we don't know. But in transitions, um, just because you do them often doesn't make them fun. Um, when you learn to love deeply, it's still hard when folks have got transition in lots of those ways. But I've noticed your mountain home love is not calculated. It's not based on what you'll get in return, but you love generously and freely. Um, and it can be hard. Um, transitions, though, um, for normal folks, can bring about anxiety. Maybe for some of us here today. Um, perhaps sometimes in transitions there is fear and uncertainty. And those feelings, of course, are very, very valid. But let me encourage us today. Um, for God and for Mountain Home Nazarene, this is not our first rodeo of transition. Um, God has been faithful, amen? amen. And God will be faithful. It uh, doesn't mean that things are always clear before us, but we do know uh, that God will be with us. God has not forgotten or forsaken us, and there are good days ahead, and we'll keep praying for the board and for that transition. But in the meantime, there's still love to be had, right? People to serve for ministry to happen. And so we just pray that by God's grace that God will keep helping us uh, move forward. I remember... I was talking to uh, Pastor Valerie, who is one of my students. Uh, and so this is just like glory for her, right? You know, um, it's like a bad penny, a nightmare showing up again. Right? Uh, although no grading this time, at least not a record grade. But um, no, I, I was thrilled when Pastor Valerie came here. She's a delight and a gift. I'm sure you're experiencing that. Um, but one of the things she talked about is this is her first staff transition. Um, I, um, I'm old, I've been a lot of places. One of my past was I was a youth pastor at Kansas City First Nazarene. And our, our pastor um, left the ministry to become a general superintendent. Um, just mid, that was a kind of a joke, but it's okay. It goes over, it's fine. Um, uh, just Mindorf was our pastor, and he uh, became general superintendent. And so we were in a transition. And when the pastor goes, uh, you know, things get exciting. Um, but um, like that, uh, God was with us, and God has been with us this church, so God will be, indeed help us go forward um, through the, the things of life. While our church is going through transition, I also this. Some of you also have lots of things in your own life, perhaps causing anxiety and tension and fear. Um, I don't know your current life, but I imagine there are folks even here of perhaps anxiety in regard to jobs, perhaps deployments, um, perhaps some of you are facing some health issues that are known and unknown. And perhaps also we have anxiety in relationships. Maybe some of those aren't quite going how we would like. Um, last year, last last year, last time I was here, uh, Pastor Dustin and Olivia, because they had preached on like, you know, 
the Sermon on the Mount for like a whole year, decided to start out um, doing a book of the Bible every week. Wow, that was fun. Um, I guarantee you still heard the best Sermon on Habakkuk from me. You've ever heard, right? Because it's the only story you've ever heard on Habakkuk. We did them all, right? And there are a lot of books in the Old Testament. Remember, getting to Jesus and saying, thank you, Jesus, for coming. Get us out of Malachi. So this summer, I've decided we'll just do um, uh, one verse the whole summer. So I'm kind of a chant. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do that either. But, um, but we are going to be looking in John these first two weeks in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but John today, and a preacher like should never say this, but this is actually really true. Um, this is one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture today. Um, so our Gospel text is going to drop us in this Gospel in the midst of transitions for Jesus. Jesus in the midst of transition. Uh, the disciples had been with him for three years. Um, and unfortunately, disciple, the disciples were still getting F's um, after three years. So I get to take comfort. If my students don't get it, Jesus, like, come on, dude, really. Um, they had come a long way since he found those folks fishing by the seashore, uh, since he found Matthew robbing and stealing them from their taxes. Um, he had found these other folks from the highways and byways of life. But let's remind ourselves, these were not the educated or cultural elites. These are the folks whom everyone else would have looked over. You might be aware that what would often happen is all the kids were in school, and the kids would be trained, and the best kids kept on going. The other kids would peel off to take on a trade. We actually really think, by the way, that Jesus did really well, learning a trade of carpentry, but probably was studying to be a Pharisee. And that's why he knew the law and the Pharisees so well. Um, but what would happen is you would apply um, to have a, serve the disciple of a rabbi. You'd, you'd make application. It wasn't like an online form you'd fill out, but they'd have some way of saying, I want to be, you, you disciple me. you go to a rabbi, and the rabbi would then decide, well, are you good enough? You know, how are your grades? And, and so really, the best of the best got to be trained by a rabbi to become a rabbi. But Jesus did something opposite. He went out to people. The wrong people, by the way, the folks whom everyone else has said, yeah, they're getting a C minus, they're not going to be worth much. And there are folks who are in trades, great people, but not the folks who want to lead anything, right? Um, and the disciples, you know, we see that. The disciples in the Gospels are like one step above the three stooges, right? They're, some of you are young, I apologize, I'm now an old person, but some of you are old too, so all my references work for you. If you're under 40, good luck. Just ask old people, they'll know what I'm talking about. Um, the disciples, and this is what we know is great about it. The disciples like, wrote most of the Gospels. In fact, in order for a Gospel to be included in the Bible, we think you kind of had to have an apostle or a disciple help to write it. And if you read the Gospels, I mean, the disciples are like constantly getting it wrong, right? But like, just like we would have, right? So we're not any better. Um, but the disciples uh, are trying, right? They're trying to figure this thing out. Like you and I are trying to figure it out. Um, and as they're go, going forth, part of the real um, anxiety, tension among Jesus is he kind of sees things, this is, the end is coming, and the disciples, unlike Valerie, were not yet ready to lead. They, they were not ready. Um, and he's like, God, uh, we have some work to do. Are you sure it's the right time? So part of the anxiety in this passage today um, there are a lot of different things Christ could have been praying about those disciples, but pay attention to what he prays. Um, this is often known as Christ's high priestly prayer. So we kind of dropped it in. You might know this. This is fun uh, nerd trivia. Um, in the Gospel of John, 
the Lord's Supper, Eucharist communion, is actually never really talked about. Do you know that? You maybe didn't. Um, and instead, this is maybe a different sermon, where you see it is actually in John 6, in the feeding of the 5,000. But what happens on the night when Jesus is betrayed, and John records the foot washing. So the notion of do this new command of love, one of those I have loved you. And in the midst of that kind of context, Jesus teaching them, he then begins this prayer, not in Gethsemane, but before they head up there. And then this prayer is only recorded in the Gospel um, of John. Um, it's a prayer. And you think about this. When we pray, we often say, God, like, here's things I want you to do. Help my Mariners win a game. Some things God, even God can't do. I recognize that, but it's fine. Um, I don't know. God even cares about the Mariners. Um, but we are, God, please do this. God, we do pray. Help our VBS and help our search. But think about this. What does God pray for us? That's kind of our message today. I mean, it's not, by the way, we're not saying that you still can't present your request to God for VBS and the Mariners or whatever you want to, you know, the important stuff too. Um, but it's curious in this passage, what, what, is, what does Christ want for us? That's interesting, isn't it? What about Christ may want for us? Um, and so, again, if I was Jesus, my prayer would have started, Father, the disciples are still idiots. I know the time is coming close, so you're going to need to help them a lot, right? Um, but then um, we head to this uh, text in John 17. And our, our passage is going to be John 17, 20 through 26. But I want to be a little bit brief before what happens in our passage today. Jesus prays that God would be glorified in him. Glory. That's a churchy word. What does it mean? Um, one of the things, um, some of you might remember in the Old Testament, Moses. Remember Moses? He goes up onto the hill and he worships God. He kind of sees the backside of God because um, he can't handle the full glory, he can't handle the full presence of God. Then he comes down the mountain and he's got a real exciting, glowing sunburn, right? His face is glowing, right? Because he has seen God. So when we say, God be glorified in me, or Christ praying that prayer, what it means is when folks see us, they would see God at work in us. So we glorify God. All that means is that as we live and work in our world, that, that, I, that folks would see Jesus in us. Many of you whom I know glorify God because I see Jesus at work in you. Now, that's all great. Sin is then what kind of messes up that vision, kind of like blocking some of that glory or distorting. Sometimes in our, you know, we talk about being created in God's image, to image, so like a mirror images. Well, sin like distorts the image. So what Jesus is praying is he says, God, may you be glorified in me. What Christ is saying is, God, may what I be doing, may folks see you in me. One of the things we think about is, why did Jesus come? Um, it's important to think about this. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about humanity, but Jesus came to change humanity's mind about God. Um, remember, one of my favorite verses, all of you probably know is John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And one of the things that Jesus came to do and say, and so this might be very simple, but also very profound, the first thing Jesus came to say and do and to be glorifying the Father 
is to say to every one of us, you are loved. Um, the Pharisees of the day might have said to them, you are bad, you better do better or God's going to get you. Now, this is speaking from later in the sermon. I'm nervous today that actually Christians often more reflect the Pharisees than Jesus. So that's going to be a different sermon. I don't know. Maybe it's not. That, that was too much. Um, I'll let that kind of simmer for a while. Like the hot sauce, we'll let it simmer a little bit. Um, it is the idea, though, that when Jesus came to say to us, and it, if you've been in the church, it sounds like, well, of course, but some of us look, look your, in the neighbor and say, right, you are loved by God. No matter what you've done, where you've been, God loves you. That doesn't mean God is condoning everything that you have done or will do. But it does mean know that you are loved and God wants to set you on a life of joy and hope and be sent out in the world to care for those along the way. But I do think sometimes... Um, it can be hard. So Jesus prays for his disciples that, that, that God would watch over them, that they'd be united. We'll come back to that later. In some regard, Jesus' prayer like that, a dying mother praying for her children, saying, God, I'm going away. They're still juveniles, so please be with them. Um, and then there's this prayer, this idea that God wants things for us. So we're gonna, I invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to read John 17, verses 20 to 26. I'm reading out of the Common English Bible, um, and whatever text you have, that's the version I'm reading from, so it doesn't line up. That's maybe why the difference. Um, but John 17, 20, and this is where Christ specifically is praying for those for whom believe those disciples' message. If you're here and believe that, this is you and me, right? So think about this. This is what Jesus both was and is still praying for you. John 17, 20. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. I'm in them, and you are in me, so they'll be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them just as you love me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me where I am. Then they can see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, even the world didn't know you, but I've known you, and these believers know that you sent me. I've made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so your love for them will be in them and I myself will be in them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we think about this notion for the disciples, as they think about the journey they were on, this Jesus whom they watched, um, they knew Jesus was going to be a Messiah. They, they, but the Messiah they were envisioning was a lot of the Messiah that a lot of the other Jews were envisioning. They were wanting Messiah to be a David 2.0. They thought the real problem in their life was the Romans. But in the end, Jesus was the Messiah that didn't, the Romans weren't great. 
But the real problem that Christ came to deal with was the idea of sin and brokenness. So the disciples figured this out. Jesus kept telling them, by the way, I must die and be crucified and rise in the third day, which, of course, that's in the text over and over again. The disciples, of course, when Jesus dies, are not thinking he's going to be raised. There's despair there still. They certainly see that Christ throughout his life had the power to heal. He could calm the storms and the blind could see. But what was most significant as you read the Gospels carefully, this is maybe about all those folks who you know Jesus who were blind and they could see and they were lame when they could walk. Guess what happened to them? Yeah, they all died. So you have to recognize those physical healings were very important, but wasn't simply about an easier life, but was to say to them, in fact, the real healing Jesus offered was to say this, because often when you were blind or poor, we just said, well, that means like you sinned or your parents sinned and God's not happy. Um, so Jesus comes alongside and heals them to say to them, no, God loves you. God believes in you and God has not forgotten where you're at. And the real healing Christ offered, I think is most captured in that one story. I believe it's in John. I didn't check it. It's in the Bible somewhere. You'll find it. Um, um, when the woman caught in adultery is thrown before Jesus, right? Um, and they're ready to throw stones. Of course, where the guy is, we don't know. That's another whole problem. But Jesus says, yes, we should absolutely do that. So that everyone who's not sinned, you get to throw the first stone. So, of course, the stones drop. Jesus looks at her, asks the woman, who stands here to condemn you? She goes, no one. And, of course, there was someone who could have condemned her that day, wasn't there? Jesus could have condemned her. He had the right and the authority to do that. As we are guilty of sin, God has that right. But Christ's word to her was looking in her face and to say, go and sin no more. May your life be transformed. See, I'm convinced that's the real healing Christ offered. It's cool to walk on the water and the big potluck with the 5,000. Great things. But the real healing that Christ came to offer was to look in the faces of those who are on the margins and broken, rich and powerful, Pharisees and Gentiles, and say, God loves you. Let's live in this life of grace and joy and hope. So the disciples watch this. They're learning. They're constantly getting it wrong. Jesus says, I'm going to go and be killed. And then they say, we want to be the greatest in your kingdom. They're still having a struggle in there. So then Jesus prays for them, then prays for us. In our text, we get this notion. After all of that, the disciples and their infighting, and then for us even today, and we think John was probably the last gospel written, maybe written in the 90s. We don't know. We make stuff up, but it's fine. 95, we don't know. Um, but in some regard, it's the most mature gospel. And But here's what they have the recording of prayer. Jesus says, um, what does Jesus want for us? What do you hear? He wants to be united. That's Jesus' prayer for us. Um, it's not for us to have a big house or a boat or that the Mariners in the World Series, although that would be really great, I suppose. Um, what Jesus really wants for us is that we would be united as the body of Christ. So how are we doing? We do live in a world of partisanship. I think Facebook both brings us closer and tears us apart. Now, we have to have, um, uh, I'm preaching until 12, is that right? Is that what you said? No. What are you laughing for? That's awkward. Okay. That's going to be, i got to cut some notes then. Okay. Um, uh, as you think about this, we think about what Jesus wants to say and do. 
and we got to clarify um, what unity is. We often confuse unity with uniformity. That was kind of the Pharisees' problem. They thought we all have to think alike, look alike, act alike, and that's what being united means. Bad, wrong, you get an F on that quiz, right? That sent any terrors through you about that? No, I'm sorry. Um, a little bit, that's good. I like that, a little bit of still anxiety. It's, it's good for you. <laughs> Keeps you young. Um, one of my favorite passages in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 13, and you'll figure out the Bible later, somewhere in there, where it says, uh, we are one body, but some of you are a big toe. Some of you, anyone, who's the big toe in here? Anybody? Two or three of you, right? Uh, some of you are, you have a nose. Some of you are the liver, right? Um, but, like, we're all different and weird. And I know me of you. And you are different and weird. <laughs> I am different and weird, right? Isn't it fabulous? We just need one of me. Plenty. That's one, one too many, probably. Um, but God created us different. In our culture today, we think being different is bad. God says different is good. And in fact, the whole church experiment is that these weird people come together who would never come together. And God says, can they like do stuff together for the kingdom and love? So don't think being different is the bad thing. Different, in fact, the problem is we're too much alike. That's a problem. That's called Fox News or MSNBC, right? That's a, that's a, that's a different story. I shouldn't say that. Right, week three on that one. Okay. Um, the point is this. Uh, we should embrace difference. Because difference is what God created us. So being united is that we celebrate our difference and say, Jesus Christ is the thing that unites us. His love will determine how we're going to move forward. But in our diversity, and so you notice over and over again in this passage, what does he want? He wants us to be united, to be one. This should be encouraging in a bad way. You'll notice in Acts, and by the way, next week it's very exciting. This will be on the quiz. What is next week? You know? Pentecost. That's why we get one A in the room today. All right, that's okay. You all can go to heaven. God lets see students in. It's fine. Um, uh, Pentecost, like, is a big deal. My, this is actually a true, well, not really a true story, but it's mostly a true story. My friend, this part is true. My friend actually is in charge of Hallmark. And uh, I told him, here's what we need for, here's what we need for uh, Pentecost. We need Hallmark movies and cards and candy. So we've created a dove that's on fire that spreads candy. Because that's how, right, we got like Santa Claus for Christmas, the Easter bunny. I don't know if that means the resurrection. But we got like candy and an animal. But seriously, Pentecost, without that, we are done. I mean, like done, done. The disciples were done, done, right? Um, but next we will celebrate, it is the power of the Spirit that spirit that enables us to do anything. And the good news is, as people come and go, that is sad and hard, but the spirit is with us and goes with them, but stays with us. But that spirit is the power that enables us to do anything. So over and over again, Jesus prays, Father, may they be one. Um, but notice this, um, they, they also were caught up into the triune love of God. He says in our passage, as I'm in you may May, may they be in us. One of the other challenges we face, I'm sure not you have this problem, but the Boise people have this problem. Um, they view heaven as a hedonistic utopia. 
That's not heaven. Can I tell them that one line about heaven? You know what line it's going to be? Heaven's going to be like church. You know that line? Yep, she does. If you don't like church, you can go to hell. Uh, right? Uh, that's what heaven's going to be like. You read Revelation. They're standing around and they're seeing praise court. Now, maybe it could be golf too. I don't know. Or fishing. Maybe a fish. I don't know. Um, but heaven is not about your own personal wonderland. Heaven is about saying, how can we in love be fully reflecting God's love back to one another? That's kind of the goal. Um, and that's the invitation. Is There's unity in that, but that unity is the very nature of God. But we know union is hard. And over and over again, Jesus raises the bar and says this. Guess what? Looking to us now, just disciples, it says, people will know that me, Jesus, am from God by how well you love one another. And First John says this, in, like there's probably parallels here. First John says this several times. The world will know that Jesus was true and Jesus was from God by how well we are loving each other. And again, in a very non-guilty way, how are we doing? And the good news is I, we always, we're always guilt-prone. Look at what we aren't doing. Feel free to celebrate the good we are doing. Could it be better? Absolutely. But the message today is not one of guilt, but one of hope. When I was a youth pastor, uh, and I'll say something that's important here, I also would say this. In my experience, some of the most depressed people in the church were mothers of teenagers, right? Because uh, they, you know, the kids who were having a hard time, moms felt guilty. I don't know the dads were, but the moms felt guilty. And, it, and I would say this, and I'll say several things because there's some dangerous cul-de-sacs I don't want us to go into. When I was a youth pastor, well, I would say this to you. The most formative people in a person's life growing up are parents who claim to be Christians, um, I had a few kids um, for whom their parents claimed to be Christian. But mom and dad at home weren't as Christian as they were on Sunday. And so all I will say is this, and let me say this very carefully, this is where this is not a guilt-inducing thing. We also don't want to say, uh, if you have kids who don't follow Jesus today, it doesn't mean you were a bad parent. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. Remember, Jesus had Judas. Okay? So the point is this. What we do and how we bear witness matters. We are evangelizing all the time by what we positively or negatively. But Jesus says this in a positive manner. When you can love one another and be united, work through our differences, right? Um, that's how the world will know that I am from God. So the question of our text is this. Christ believes in us. God believes in us. He says, I want that, I, my love to be in you. It's only God's love that can help us do this, right? Um, it's God's love that helps us work through the areas of pain and challenge and heartache. Sometimes you don't do things that are well, and there's hurts and there's pains. We need reconciliation, right? And it, life's not easy. In some regard, it's easier to be isolated and segmented and just deal with yourself. But the culture of the kingdom is to say, we are called to be drawn together in all our weirdnesses. And when there are problems, work through it, which isn't always fun or easy. Um, but then to say this, it is my love that will help you through the anxiety and fears and transitions of our life. And I don't know today all the anxieties and fears, and maybe you have none, and you can help the rest of us who have some. I don't know if there are some places where um, 
there's challenge for us. Obviously, the church, there's going to be new adventures and new things that happen. There's, there's going to be anxieties there. But the good news is this. Just like me showing up every four years, uh, <laughs> for better or worse, like a bad Betty, God has great things in store. And we are to cast our anxieties upon him. His spirit is still alive and well in this place. And the key for us is can we respond to that spirit and say, God, help me to find places of reconciliation. Help me to offer my fears, my anxiety, and my pain. And then let us live into this idea that we can be one. Not because we're all the same, but because we're all different. But how we are united is in God's love working in us and that love bleeding out, going in our action and our peace love where we go. I'm going to invite the team to come on up, and I want to offer a word of prayer for us today. Gracious God, we thank you this day that you are a God who is faithful. You are a God who knows us and who will walk with us. And so while we do come this morning, I'm sure with many words of praise and thanksgiving, seasons of graduation and celebrations, and much to be thankful for. So Lord, we give you thanks for the life and the breath and the things that are going so well. Lord, we also pray this day for the areas of our life that we're struggling. Lord, at first the church, Lord, there's transition here. And Lord, that is not always fun. Um, perhaps some uncertainty, anxiety. Um, new roles will need to be taken up. So Lord, for this church, we do pray for, first of all, your spirit to fall upon us. May your spirit of comfort and joy and peace say and remind us that you've not left us alone. You're still here. Lord, for things in our personal lives, I don't know where there are areas of pain or hurt or struggle or uncertainty, anxiety, relationships, finances, health, jobs. We don't know. But Lord, your son invites us in Matthew 11 text to cast all of our burdens upon you. And Lord, we trust you. And Lord, we do pray for those things to be resolved. But in the meantime, we pray your spirit will indeed fall and rest upon us. So Lord, this day... As you send us out, may we go in hope and joy, not because everything in our life has been resolved. Perhaps that will happen. We pray it does. But because we are renewed again to say, God is here. You are here. And you'll go with us. And you'll help us through it. And there we have hope and peace and joy. Not in our circumstances, but in knowing you are here and knowing your life flows through us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing today. Receive this benediction. May you go out in love and in unity and in hope to be God's creative and redemptive agents in the world today. Go in love and joy and peace. Amen. You're Amen. dismissed.